You are now listening to the Enter VR podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by Paul Marcano. Paul is an artist and musician in real life who's bringing all his work and his life's uh, body of work to virtual reality. Um, Paul, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. And, and I will say that with a true sense of uh, that it's morning because uh, you know I was pretty much up until my usual late night owl uh, moments last night, probably 3, 3.30 before I went to bed. How many hours of sleep do you usually get? Well, um, I'm absolutely uh, questioning that myself um, in terms of – because even if I go to sleep, it appears that I'm, I'm sort of waking uh, fairly regularly, you know, to check in. So <laughs> I don't know what that is, you know. It's, it's a – uh, a natural catnap kind of um, approach to sleep. Um, so I just sleep whenever I want. And so if I fall asleep after dinner, I'll fall asleep for an hour. Um, if I, you know, I just, you know, I like to uh, actually avoid sleep. But uh, nevertheless, it's required. So I, I generally let the Sandman drag me away around 3 o'clock. And he usually gets me away by about 4 uh, and the reason why I asked that is because I, I was I, I was I, I got I got a chance to tour some of your worlds and I had come to the realization that my God these have must have taken hours and hours to put together and I couldn't you know it just seemed like it felt very difficult for me to believe that one person had done all that and you just blew my mind. Um, by the way, how we met was. Nick, uh, thanks to Chris Madsen, um, Deep Rifter introduced us, um, and he uh, mentioned to me that there was this artist 3D guy who was doing these amazing things, and so I figured, uh, why not do a meetup inside your worlds? And it turned out quite nicely, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I, yeah. yeah, it was so much fun visiting um, all your, not, uh, we didn't get to visit all of them, but we got to visit yeah. a good amount of them, and I was blown away Um by the amount of creativity that you put in there like like the thing about vr chat is that it's very there's only so much you can do with the platform you know at this point they're gonna make it uh they're gonna integrate more interactivity later on but there's only so much you can do and the things that you were able to do just blew my mind because i just wasn't i didn't think you could do these things um for example one of them that really blew my mind was um, you had a, a model of an HMD, of an Oculus Rift, on a table. And inside that Oculus Rift, there was a 360 photo. Um, and, and so you were in VR looking at a 360 photo of real life. And it was just this super meta moment where I was just blown away. Like, oh, my God, he just flipped virtual reality on its head. I can't <laughs> believe this. I can't. Oh, I know. I was uh, when I when I realized that those panospheres that uh, VR chat uh, provides um, didn't have to be uh, round or spherical. Um, I was just blown away. I thought, oh, really? So all you need to do is have these things on your eyes. Uh, and you are going to see a full vista, basically, of whatever you want. You know, so I thought, you know, well, isn't that amazing that that such a thing exists? And I, 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 I you know, I went into um, in medium is uh, provides an initial Oculus Rift uh, model uh, that you can use uh, in your 
you know, creativity when you're building things in Medium, which is a sculpting program for the Oculus. And um, when I brought it in, of course, it had the eyes and the lenses and everything, and I couldn't fit it in there. So I actually went in using in Medium. I erased uh, a lot of the interior mechanism and managed to fit this oval in there uh, very carefully. And, um, yeah, well, actually, I didn't fit the oval in until uh, I brought it into Unity, where I was able to then bring a scaled-down panoramic and fit it right inside the headset. Uh, was yeah, it surprised me too that uh, what it did for me was exactly what it did for you, which was it turned VR into a sort of inside looking outside looking in. Yeah, uh, you know, and and that to me was the um, on a philosophical level uh, clearly demonstrating the nature of reality, uh, which is the you know sort of total flexibility it has. Uh, with your particular perception of it. Um, as a thing is viewed, so it appears. That's the, you know, that's kind of the maximum I sort of see reality in the context of. You know, as it's viewed, so it appears. The amount of, I feel like when I, so for a month, I remember going in every day into Tiltbrush and into Google Blocks, and I was like, for a whole month, every day, I'm going to spend an hour, and I'm just going to make something, you know, quote-unquote art. And the thing about, that I realized was, uh, visiting your worlds was that you you put together an overarching, arching architecture, like, like, like when I make stuff, it's just sort of stream of consciousness, whatever comes out of my head. But you, it seemed like it felt like you know you put together these interconnected worlds where like you almost felt like it almost felt like you already had a blueprint ready to go um, to sort of connect all these different worlds together. How did, well, <laughs> how, how did you? How did you? Uh, did you approach that going in, into that in, with that with that mentality? Like I have this blueprint and this is what I'm going to create. Or were you just sort of iterating, iterating, and, and just it, it sort of came up upon like that? Well, my creative, uh, my creativity, and and the way I produce things is very much, as you observe, in a sense, uh, it's as if there is a blueprint, and and the blueprint, uh, you know, I guess you could use that. That's a pretty good analogy for a, a vision that you have, um, and and my art has always. You know, 99.9% of the time been uh, based on a uh, pre-visualization that comes to me in a, you know, meditative thought. I'm an active meditator. I don't sit around for an hour and meditate. I um, Meditation is a is the creative um, force. So I'm, I'm uh, generally in a state of, of meditation uh, whenever I decide to sit down and create. Um, and that includes just lying in the sun. Okay. A lot of people go, Hey, what are you doing? You know, you're lying around a lot, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I'm lying around a lot. I'm drifting in and out of dream states and I'm conceptualizing my, uh, amorphous thought process. So that stream of consciousness you talk about is a literally, uh, a, a great analogy for it because you know the, the stream is flowing through your awareness and and you're picking things out of it and um, you know some of it makes sense some of it's just you know 
a great idea, and and hopefully you're going to you know be able to uh, use it. So usually I'll I'll have a full on uh, vision of what it is I want to do, and then uh, it's kind of paint by numbers from there. I'll go into a medium like you know VR has been incredible that way. I mean you have these tools, you have. I don't see any limitations with VR chat from that perspective because it wouldn't matter if I had a box of crayons, okay? Crayons are, you know, probably the most primitive first first uh, impression uh, or first tool that uh, you know kids use in art and and I believe that within the context of crayons and what crayons can do, you can still create a masterpiece. Yeah, you totally, I mean, and that was the thing that blew my mind is that you were able to create terrains. Um, I don't know if you, were you were you creating the terrains inside of Unity or were you using Blender? Were you, other, were you using other programs to import them into Unity? How did you make your terrains um, in, 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 uh, in v, for VRChat? Well, the terrain uh, thing tool in, um, in Unity blew my mind. I... I uh... I wasn't sure how to do terrains. Um, I, I had originally been uh, using a little bit of Bryce's uh, feature. I, didn't, I never really enjoyed using Bryce. It seemed to be a very complex program. But it did have this feature that I did uh, find fascinating, which was it could convert gray tone um, imagery into um, basically a uh, you know a sculpted topographical um plane and and so i i would you know sort of spend some time in my paint programs creating these uh these gray tone topographics from you know looking straight down and then i bring them into bryce and and boom i'd have a, a terrain but i always found that to be an awkward uh sort of thing it didn't seem to kind of I mean, it it had its limits. Let's put it that way. It it had its limits in terms of what you could do with it, and it wasn't real time enough for me. And when I when I went into Unity and brought up their terrain option and was able to just go around and and sculpt literally uh, in real time, uh, that to me was okay. You know, this is uh, this is what I want. I want to be able to uh, treat. 3D as uh, a kind of topographical landscaping painting, uh, so literally would would get down at that you know sort of not quite 180, but I would look across the landscape and sculpt it very much as you would paint a painting. Huh. You know, and you know it was great because you could choose a distance, you could climb up, create a mountain, climb up the mountain, have a look down. You know, uh, depress in the areas you want where lakes and rivers can be, and it was really sort of that overview and ability to to sculpt in in true 3D that blew my mind with that. It was, um, and then I, I of course uh, when it came to texturing, I realized that built into the landscaping um, aspect of Unity, of course, with your your initial assets. You know, you could pick grass and 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 all these different uh, textures, right? And eventually, it occurred to me that this is getting kind of um, complicated. 
uh, not complicated, but it's getting a little awkward having to paint in all this grass, you know. So I went into my paint program, and I use an old uh, program called Painter, which was uh, Meta Creations created years ago. Um, and it's a, it's a highly um, art, artist-oriented piece of software. Uh, Corel owns it now, Corel um, in Ottawa. Uh, owns Painter, and Painter is an incredible program. As a, uh, in contrast to Photoshop, which is generally, you know, photographers love Photoshop, and it's got all the sort of vernacular built into it that makes it so attractive to photographers. But Painter and its vernacular, you know, has everything to do with what artists are looking for. And so I've used Painter all my life uh, in the digital world, basically. Uh, since way back, I mean, we're talking about when that program first came out in the early or late 1980s. So I'm still using it, and I still use a particular version of it, um, a 5.5 version, which was web-friendly. And uh, not to get into the detail of that program too much, but the, the reality is that I use it to map out uh, and decided that I was going to do my texturing by creating massive... Um, textural maps so you know roughly 8,000 by 8,000 kind of thing so you know that's why my surreal the surreal nature of my worlds um, and the textures all seem to flow into each other so nicely is because I actually start off by painting the entire thing from the air in a paint program comp compositing you know all kinds of different things that I've got in my uh, past in terms of my art. Uh, you know, so I'll bring in a whole area of something, some texture I've used in a painting. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, you know, com composite that entire thing into a textural map and then bring it in as one tile into Unity and then just start painting. And then I, <laughs> and then I use the topographical features to enhance the different areas of my uh, overall map. Yeah, that was another thing that blew me away was your ability to pull together all these different tools into one place. And I wanted to ask you, like, what is your what is your learning process look like? What is how, when you're learning these tools? Like, what does that look like? How do you how do you learn fast and how do you you know how do you get uh, off the ground running, so to speak? Well, I've always been a, um, a keenly aware that the software that I've ever used and just about any tool really I mean name it you know give me a hammer right and I you literally uh, can only uh, say that I know the tip of the iceberg basically of what a hammer is capable of doing okay I know you can actually build a house with it but I can't do anything like that I can maybe nail something to the wall but you know It's it's just like that with software. You 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 know. I would suggest that just about any piece of software you could purchase, um, you will only ever scratch the surface of of its uh, you know tip of the iceberg. Really, the use of it because it's you know it's overwhelming what tools have been built into uh, software. And you know, I stopped at version five point five with uh, Painter. It's already up in the you know version you know, 11, 12, or whatever. Wow. The fact is, the fact is, as an artist, I have only ever you know, used just the tools that I need. So when it comes to learning software, my question is always, 
okay, I could learn this entire piece of software or I could start working and learn as I go as to what it is I need to do. So I don't shy away from jumping into a piece of software and just finding out the capabilities that it has. And when I want to do something, I'll, uh, I'll explore that aspect of the software to see um, if it'll do it. And generally, a quick Google search or a YouTube search will reveal whether or not somebody has tried such a thing. And if they haven't, then I still go ahead and try to, you know, fit a, <laughs> you know, I don't have a problem with trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole, okay? <laughs> you know, and in virtual reality, you can do it. So, yes, you, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop you from doing anything in VR. So, you know, given the fact that we're in a, a whole new paradigm of um, the laws of physics, you can throw them right out the window and just jump in and say, okay, you know, what do I want to do today in a seriously, uh, you know, a serious fashion? It's like, oh, you know, I can do that. Yeah, being able to um, explore or, or have a, a tour of uh, outer space aboard a space shuttle and going inside the center of the sun was an, another, another experience that was that you can only experience in virtual reality. This is like this is the beauty of it. And I wanted to ask you, like, what is? How do you tap into your curiosity? You know, how do you? Is it something where like, um, um, or more like not curiosity, but your creativity? Like, how do you tap into your creativity? Is it something that you can call at will whenever you want, or is there something where you have to like everything has to be in the right order for? And, and you have to be in the right mood and setting for your creativity to ramp up. How does it work for you? Um, it works by um, throwing myself into it uh, and hoping that I'm going to swim. Uh, I probably have my father to thank for that because that's how he did teach me to swim as much as I resented it at the time. He uh, picked me up and threw me in the water. He said, well, you know, you got to check it out. You know, you'll either sink or swim, you know, and boom, you know. I ended up swimming for my life. I was really traumatized by the notion that that was, you know, the way to learn wow. to do something. But uh, it actually had a profound effect on on my approach to uh, problem solving. Uh, the idea, I mean, the problem solving that a blank canvas suggests to an artist. You know, it's like, uh, okay, here's this void again. What am I going to do? And and that's the same as when you make your first plane uh, surface, you know, flat surface in a virtual world. You you look at this and having done a number of worlds now, I look at that flat plane and I go, okay, now I'm in for it. You know, what am I going to do here? And it's in the process of being in there and surrounding yourself. Now, of course, with VR, you can surround yourself with the conundrum of the void. And uh, you can you can be in there and say, okay, well, you know, this is going to be a bit of work, and uh, <laughs> and that's it, you know. Like with Islands in Space, which um, was my second VR uh, foray, although it was my, I think it was my third uh, entry in VR chat. Um, but I had already created uh, Where Spheres Touch for the Oculus Rift as a standalone uh, project. And I had also decided to create Islands in Space 
um, for the Oculus as well. So those both exist as independent uh, standalone items for the Oculus Rift. And if anybody wants, um, you know, a complimentary code to install it on their Oculus Home, uh, just get in touch. But uh, and uh, my email address is artist3d at dreamscaping.com. Um, but basically the the whole idea with that was to see if I could create a world in a month. And I started off in the January of 2017, I think. And I said, okay, that where's Fear's Touch thing took me um, the better part of a year. And I thought, that's just not going to cut it. Building a world in a year? I mean, give me a break. You know, I was like, no, I got to sit down here and I have to methodically look at this. I've learned, you know, I was still learning Unity with Where's Fear's Touch. So, of course, it was more than just taking a year to, to do Where's Fear's Touch. It was taking a year to understand how Unity worked. And I had uh, no intentions. Uh, there was no VR chat at that point either to test things or to check things out or whatever. So constantly compiling and checking my work and learning Unity. But when um, I finished that project, I, I thought, I'm going to try to do uh, Islands in Space. And I'm going to see if I can do it in a month. And I diligently sat down January 1st of that year, and I said, okay, that's it. You know, I'm going to get to work here. And I got a lot done. Got a lot done. A month went by, and there was no way that was finished. <laughs> you know, but, but I was, like, well on my way to having something. And by the six-week um, period, I was like, okay, this is coming together, you know. This is looking like it's going to work. And, um, you know maybe eight weeks in, you know, it was about, anyway, it was about three months when I finished that and submitted it to Oculus for approval. Right um, yeah. And this was before I started adding worlds to, uh, VR chat. In fact, um, VR chat, um, I had been on the DK two, uh, going into VR chat just to run around and, I had heard you could upload worlds, you know, from Unity and that, but I didn't know Unity and anything, and I kind of just kind of forgot about it. I was just enjoying the fact that people were building forests and things in in VR chat and worlds within worlds. Uh, one of my very first uh, uh, scenes that blew my mind in there was this sort of forest that was that had a whole bunch of people in the middle, you know, sort of talking, and I remember meeting somebody and realizing that we could go off you know into the woods and have a private conversation and the proximity of the sound was in there and i could say oh this is awesome i mean you know people can get together over there around the campfire or we can go off on a hill and have a private chat about something you know and and i was just like whoa this is going to be the future and then it kind of i left it to learn unity and and built a couple of applications and then sometime around um Sometime in around, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking 2016 for uh, Islands in Space because, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it goes back. Yeah, it goes back to before the uh, official Oculus came out. Wow. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was doing all that work on a DK2. Wow. So your work goes <laughs> way back. So let me ask yeah. you, what, what, you, you go into the void and I wonder, are you going in there? 
armed with influences already, you know, so what I'm trying to ask is like, what are the, your biggest influences for your work? What, what has influence over the course of your life that influences your art? Well, visually, um, I think it's Roger Dean who did the yes covers, uh, on, uh, the British, uh, pop rock band or progressive rock band. Um, Roger Dean's work really blew me away. I mean, I looked at his, I mean, it wasn't just the covers of the Yes albums, but when you actually, I got his book and I, I saw all of his side projects and I was always like, wow, that's, uh, that's really surreal and far out. I mean, before that it was Dali, uh, always thought Dali, I mean, we're talking visual influences here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dali's work, uh, Da Vinci's work, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, I'm thinking, um, as far as influences go, at least uh, Maxfield Parrish, uh, blows me away. Just, you know, I think it was just reading that one little thing that Maxfield Parrish used to, uh, in order to make his incredible mountains, he would bring us a really interesting stone into the studio, fairly you know large stone, and he would light it from the side to get those kind of contours and everything in order to paint. And he would literally use a rock to paint a mountain. Wow! And yeah, and and when you realize um, uh, when you realize after you experience your first fractal that the iterations of um, self-similarity right you realize that he was using a fractal dynamic there yeah you know that this this... (laughs) yeah 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 well i'm blowing my own mind too so that's good you know but i mean basically it's it is that that is the nature of from the small comes the big and and it is kind of um that's where you find continuity when you're building something so for me, um, I have an early painting which actually shows up in um, Where Spheres Touch. If you go into one of those spheres, you'll see a couple of kids on a blanket sort of floating in this sort of surreal world. But in that world, I show two paths, um, which are, you know, you, if you look at it, you can see this tiny little microchip going up and turning into a city. And that, uh, I'll say that that's the same analogy that, uh, you know, Maxfield Parrish would have used a small rock to paint a mountain. And I, I, I see that at the microscopic level in our technological societies, we have tiny little cities on circuit boards. I mean, we literally are self-replicating uh, just like nature. Uh, you know, we, we have a self-similarity iteration going on in the very construct of the way we uh, construct our worlds in the real world, so, so to speak. So, you know, in that painting I was showing, and this was a painting I did back in, uh, gosh, probably did that painting in 1978. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, and I was using, um, again, I was using in that one, I would start off by dipping, um, a, uh, piece of particle board into, um, a vat of, of water with, uh, uh, paint floating on the surface so i would immediately end up with a sort of a marbled background and that that always fascinated me the the sort of flow of nature 
um, I love marbling. Big fan of marbling uh, as a as a thing. And then I painted in this thing. But basically, that's what I've been discovering long before fractals. That the small becomes the you know component of of the larger construct. So. So with my creativity, I think I, I realize that, and I realize that I can create continuity by uh, integrating those kinds of elements into my work. When So uh, there's times for me, um, sometimes I view my, my podcast as, or the, the, as an art, uh, the art of conversating, um, and, and there's days where I sort of hit a wall for myself where I'm like, man, where I, don't, I don't have any, like, I don't have questions to ask, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where to derive that from that that inspiration and so i wonder if you have those days where like your your inspiration is is missing and what do you do to gain it back well um i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of i'm a i'm a huge uh songwriter okay so i'm always starting off with that sort of and with painting and music and everything it's always a blank right at first so you know you don't get overwhelmed by the fact that there's nothing there um, get excited about the fact that you can fill that with whatever you want. So it's, uh, you know, in writing, I think, you know, the journal, you know, a journalistic approach is actually your best uh, beginning because you're, you're needing to f- discover the who, what, when, where, and why of that, you know, sort of subject that you're approaching. And I think um, little templates like that are great to start with because they they flesh out the basics that you need to uh, uh, approach. So when you're talking to me, you know, in a conversation, you can just think of those, you know, who, what, when, where, and why, and you're going to cover a lot of bases right off the, right off the bat. Mm. So um, I love little templates like that that tell you, that don't tell you what to do, but they give you the, the uh, framework on how to do it. You know, and and I'm always looking for really the most simple um, uh, solution. Like when I made that little Oculus headset, right? I mean, it was like, okay, I'm going to put a, you know, that's a very simple concept, right? Mm. Not nothing too complicated about that. It just works, and it's just a juxtaposition of of two things together. Boom, and you've got a concept. So. Yeah, I don't overcomplicate the creative process. I just get into the enthusiasm of just the fact that I can um, play so intensely in a in a dimension of this uh, nature that we have now. I mean, and I was always doing it, uh, but I never, you know, I've never been quite so overwhelmed as with virtual reality and its and its potential and possibilities. Yeah, and so when you're speaking of perhaps there's times where there's a, a problem that you're trying to solve and there's a shader that just isn't importing right or there's just something in there that you're like, man, I really wanted to work this way. How do you stay motivated to continue working on, on the problem? You know, you have the, you have the inspiration, you have the curiosity, you have the framework, all of those things, but, but then the motivation, where, where, how do you tap into that? Motivation? Um, well, you know, that comes from being self-employed all my life. I mean, if you're not the boss of your own self, in a sense, enough to motivate yourself, you're going to fail uh, as a self-employed anybody, okay? It doesn't matter what the subject is. You need a part of you that is the boss who gets you up in the morning and says, you know, like, you, know, <laughs> you can blow another day, you know? 
um, or you can accomplish something at the end at the end of it and say, yeah, that was uh, a, a day well lived. Now the thing is, okay, one of the I think one of the conundrums that uh, a lot of people face in that challenge is the concept of time. Okay, and I'm a huge contemplator of time uh, because I know that a lot of people will say, you know, one of the initial things people will always say is, well, I just don't have time for that, you know, and, and, I, and I think, well, you know, here's the thing. Go stand in a lineup at the post office and tell me how much time there is. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, this is a subjective, uh, uh, you know, concept of the mind. And it's completely spent at your own rate, okay? It, it, it is not something that, uh, you know, okay, an hour, right? Okay, okay, so you got an hour, you know. Well, that's an hour, okay? You know, start parsing that one down to its microseconds and its micro moments, And the fact that actually, even if you could parse it down to, you know, whatever unit of measurement you want to use... Uh, there's a there's an infinity in there that you're missing if you think uh, you don't have time. And you know, like I said, you know, go stand in line at a post office and tell me you don't have a lot of time. There's a you know, you can sit there and look at that clock, and it seems to me like the second hand is is lethargic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, so. So that tells you the range. That gives you the range of your uh, of how you can spend your time. And I think if you start micromanaging your time down to infinity, you've got an incredible amount of time. Even if you've got 10 minutes to a deadline, you will fit it into that. And that's the other thing. Uh, in my professional work with other people and clients, um, I was observing over time <laughs> that that I always seem to meet the deadline. And I, I realized that I had to pretty much ask my clients to give me a deadline. Otherwise, I never got the, you know, got to work. Mm. So, you know, you give somebody a deadline to complete something. And I'll do that in the uh, initial processes of creating. I will say, look, before noon, I'm going to complete this, this, and this. And given that amount of time, it's a, you know, I'm my own boss, so I give my, myself my own deadlines. And it's in the process of giving myself a deadline on things that I actually get something accomplished. Because, you know, you pretty much have to uh, figure out a way to do that. And um, if you're self-employed, you need to be self-motivated. You need to have the boss feature in there that, that uh, tells you to just get up in the morning and do that. And, um, yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, that, that to me is born into me as an artist, I guess. And, uh, and, you know, some people would call it a sort of possession or a workaholic, um, attribute, but it's not really that way because I can just as easily hang out on a beach and just, you know, blow a day lying around, you know, no problem, Hmm. but it's, it's doesn't accomplish much, but it also, you can also look at it as a um, flip side of the creative process. The receptivity is required before you get any kind of creativity. If you're not observing clouds, you can't paint them, okay? You just can't. You have to be receptive to what's there 
before you can actually express even an impression of a cloud. So to me, it's 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 a balance of uh, spending a lot of time. Uh, you know, quite often I can appear to be lying around, but that's not really what I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm going through a mental process of piecing together the vision, and then you know, getting in front of the tools that I have and uh, uh, illustrating it all. Yeah, I end up getting caught up in absorbing as much information as I can. I just go, I go all out. And I forget to actually stop and be receptive and sort of like take things in and let my mind sort of like let my let the information settle. You know, because I, I, for me, it's the fear of like, man, I'm not working hard enough. Man, it's not, it's not, it's just not. You know, like, how do you, how do you for, like, how do you combat that fear of, like, uh, or do you even have that? Like, for me, at least, I, I have this, like, fear of, like, man, I am never working hard enough. How do I, how do I, you know, have that conversation with myself? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you need to look at your life as a kind of a, um, a landscape. There's peaks and valleys, okay? Uh, peak output and valleys of great lush input and i think you have to acknowledge that the the valleys of lush input where your rivers are running through the valleys and there's all these flowers and you know richness and everything that's all like well worth absorbing because it's going to be the source of your inspiration and i do take uh walks and and go into the forest and and just appreciate just the fact that this is the ultimate virtual reality is the the uh, the pure perception of of uh, of things as they are. Um, you know, there's nothing interesting about a forest unless you're interested. Okay, I mean, you you really, you know, people who um, use the term boredom or boring or this that or anything else. I'm I'm always a you know like I, I don't even, that that's not even in my vocabulary. Um, to me, it's, uh, you know, even as I get older and my sense impressions are becoming less acute, I'm still acutely aware, <laughs> you know, and that, that to me is the goal, uh, in life is, is to increase my awareness of things and whether or not my eyes are as clear as they used to be, or my ears are as acute as they used to be. That's not really a concern because, you know, I'll be happy with uh, a clear blur, you know. It, it's still a, a wonderful, um, you know, sense impression to have. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a matter of choice. Uh, but it's also, I, I don't really concern myself with whether or not I'm constantly being creative because I know I need to be constantly receptive as well. Mm. And there's a justification for living both sides of that coin. And it just so happens on balance, I tend to be more uh, creative-oriented and want to do that. I don't need much to get me started. You know, I, I, um, you know the catalysts that, uh, that I use are um, really quite small. Uh, that includes any kind of usage of a psychoactive ingredients i mean what can fit on the um the end of a of a tiny little i mean you know the little nub on a on an aa battery mm -hmm. you know on the positive side there that 
um, that is the amount of psychoactive substance I can handle before I'm absolutely incapacitated. So, um, you know, speaking about that, I mean, uh, you know, over the years, I mean, I've certainly done a lot more than that. But uh, these days, you know, that's a major trip for me. Hmm. You know, that's that's like, oh, wow, you know, especially given, you know, some of the potency of uh, some of those psychoactives there. Uh, you don't need much. It's just a catalyst. It's not the it's not the trip itself. You know, you're the one who makes something of something. So it's, uh, you know, to me, it's occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of that to generally assess what I've already done to oh. see if to see if it matches my uh, expectations. And, yeah, I'll do that and, and sort of take a break, in a sense, and become receptive to my own work. Problem is, with artists, is they work so long on their work, by the time they're done, they're sort of, like, done with it, right? And it's, you know, one of the beauties of VR chat is that you get a chance to see it again for the first time through everyone else's eyes. Yeah. And you realize, you know, you, you know, this is a wonderful thing about uh, sharing work I'm going to have to credit uh, GM3 with breaking me out of a generational uh, conundrum I always was in, which was, how do I share my work without giving it away, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, uh, you know, GM was like totally millennial in his approach, you know, sh you know, Instagramming everything, twitching everything, sharing everything, completely giving away everything he creates, like within a without any, uh, you know, concern. And I've always, you know, I've been uh, self-employed, and I know that if you just give away your work, you don't make a living, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like. Uh, GGM, I don't know whether you know that's a great idea. You're just going to let that one go, you know, and and uh, and he would he would just well, it all comes back, you know. And I said, okay, well, um, all right, I'll upload one of my worlds to VR Chat, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'll see what happens, you know, and 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 that's how I, uh, you know, I took my first Oculus application and I brought it into VR Chat. Lo and behold, that I needed another six weeks to uh, redo it because all the scripting that I had put in was completely uh, null and void in, in VR chat. And so, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, now I'm back in this uh, app having to redo this one. Hmm. Uh, you know, so bringing it into VR chat, I, I had to relearn all of the uh, whatever tools they give you in VR chat. I had to basically replicate the application with, within the limits of those tools. And those tools are not limited, okay? That, they're pretty powerful tools, and in in many cases, I have to tell you, I prefer VR Chat's tools to um, to Unity's massive, uh, infinite, um, you know, tool base, which is in in many cases overwhelming. It is, you know. So in VR Chat, they kind of, yeah, it's kind of like um, it's like a school that has uh, very defined uh, parameters and, uh, you know, you work within them. And it kind of tells you, it brings you back to that old thing that I was saying earlier. You know, you got yourself a box of crayons here, you know. Okay, well, what are you going to do with that? You know, like that's, you can do anything you want with that within the, you know. And there are masterpieces that can be done with crayons. Trust me, you know, you can, you know, you can sit there and use. My first work was done with color pencils. And when I realized that I could make a living with just color pencils, I was 
liberated beyond measure, you know? That must be an amazing feeling. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That must be an amazing feeling. But when do you know when something is done? Like you're working on a piece and it seemed like you've been working on it forever and you just don't feel quite satisfied, but then you release it anyways. Or how does that process look like in your mind when, when something when you realize that something is done? All right. I'll reveal this only on the within the context of um, of just the fact that I appreciate it um, as much as it, it. Okay, it comes down to this: I had uh, an art show once back in the '80s with my art, and I had a chance to sit for you know the better part of a couple of weeks and observe uh, people looking at my art. Okay. And I remember, you know, because I spent a lot of time on my art. And uh, so, you know, I could see a lot of people coming in there and giving a piece that I'd worked, you know, a couple of weeks on, a glance, really. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, like I'm not getting, you know, okay. And then occasionally a person would come in and they would observe a piece for a, a long enough time to get the concept that I was trying to get across and they would give me some feedback and I'd go, yeah, and they really appreciate that. But by and large, uh, the general um, approach that people take to art is they, they, they're either attracted to it or they're not. So you can't blame a person for bypassing a piece and not giving it time, okay? Um, in all matters of taste, it's an individual choice, okay? And so, so I, I, I had to get over that, wow, you didn't really spend much time on that piece, you know, wow, so you're not really appreciating that or something, you know, and then you realize over time that, yeah, that just didn't fit their uh, particular taste. And so, um, in my worlds, I, I come from a family of artists, okay, and many of us um, are perfectionists, in a sense, but I kind of learned very early on that perfectionism was a delusion of of um, sorts not that I would uh, you know I'm not saying that people who you know have that approach aren't you know well founded in their uh, need to create exactly what they want to do but I got to the point where my perfectionism was uh, holding back a, a stream of concepts that I wanted to get out there And so when I look at my work, it's more or less I'll, I'll, I'll work on it until I've actually conveyed the concept. Uh, at that point, I rely on the fact that most people are not going to be looking at the tiniest of little, um, you know, things that I'd be worried about, okay, mm. in terms of, uh, you know, so... As much as I, I get into these, you know, and in computer, once you get into computers, you realize that if you're going to be doing things perfectly, you are up against, you know, an artificial intelligence of perfection that, you know, you can knock yourself out uh, with because we're talking about decimal point perfection here, point zero, 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 right? I mean, you know, do you want that edge to actually hit there? You know, when you get right down to, you keep zooming in and you realize that the edges never actually touch, right? <laughs> you know, so give me a break, right? Yeah. You know, you know, so once you realize you're up against a computer's sense of perfection, uh, 
and that there is no real perfection, okay, let's put it that way, um, then you need to uh, you know step back a little bit, get back into the macro view of the whole thing, and 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 uh, release yourself from the uh, stress of trying to perfect things. I mean, you get into a program like I remember um, doing some desk. I, I did a little desktop publishing uh, in my career, and uh, you know, using a, a program like Illustrator or Corel. Uh, uh, I think I used um, Corel Draw for a while. And, you know, you literally could get down to hiding. If you zoomed in far enough, you could hide an entire paragraph of a comment in a period, you know, in a tiny period. You could zoom in so much that you could use a tiny little thing and you could totally hide an entire dialogue inside of a period. So I was like, okay, you know, here I am trying to align these boxes, right? But I'm down at that level trying to align these boxes. And if you keep on zooming in, you realize they just never get aligned. You know, it's just the infinity of the whole thing. So computers have completely blown us into a zone where you got to be careful you don't get caught in a, in a microcosm of, of perfection when the macrocosm of it is, is enough, okay? At a certain – you have to decide what your level of resolution is. And, you know, step back from the work and realize, you know, okay, I got to finish this. I can't get too concerned about, you know, those kinds of uh, perfections. You don't realize it, that you're getting caught into that, you know, with computers. Computers uh, have brought us into a zone where you got to be damn careful that uh, you don't get, you know, totally, what do they call that, OCD, you know? Yeah, yeah, sucked in by it. You know, get sucked in by the fact that okay, this is never you know, and it's never going to be perfect. I, yeah. I can I can assure you that the uh, you know the the capabilities of the um, of the system go far beyond what uh, you know is humanly possible, and that that includes you know the macro view that I have about uh, um, oh I don't know some things you know I won't go into it, but you know it's sort of. Um, I, I get to the point where I look at my work and I go, okay, this has accomplished the purpose. It, people are seeing what I, I had in mind. This is the concept. This is what it is, you know. But I still spend uh, a long time on my on my pieces. I mean, Airbrushing Galaxies, which I took you into, I only finished that this week and published it. It came online yesterday. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 That's where I had that interstellar-like experience where I was crossing into the fourth dimension in there. Yeah. Yeah, I was dropping in. There were like 20, 30 people in there at times. I was like, whoa, you know, there must have been a a couple hundred people must have gone through there yesterday because anytime I went in there, there were, you know, over a dozen people just roaming around. And I noticed that it, for the first time that VR Chat uh, put it into their Spotlight program, which I was thrilled. Very cool! I can't wait to check it out <laughs> again. Oh man! Ah, uh, it's awesome. Um, I w- I've been well. I, what I did was uh, there's this guy Sincork, who invented, or at least a version of a jetpack, hmm. uh, riders, these flyers. And he has a world in there where he demonstrates that you can get on these things and fly around. Well, I was talking to A Emotion 
uh, and he had had a conversation with Syncork who and asked him if it was all right to use his um, technology. And he said, yeah, share it, you know. And I have the quote and everything, and I, I'm meaning to get in touch with him to thank him because it was the final sort of thing that I wanted to um, bring into that Airbrushing Galaxies thing, which was these flyers that allow you to independently um, fly around that massive space station, okay? Oh. And this thing, yeah, this thing is so big that I had to change the default clipping range of view from a thousand, which I think it, it defaults to a thousand, to twelve thousand. Okay, so and and given that, of course, twelve thousand means you also have to be aware that you need to use some collusion to uh, contain that madness. So, um, yeah, that that's a huge um, space station. With four seasons, it ends up now that I've got four seasons and four quadrants. The whole thing is a sort of a typical uh, Taurus design space station. Three Tauruses, one large one in the middle, and one at the top and one at the bottom. And it's kind of broken up into this sort of main living area where I've got, uh, you know, the Taurus broken up into quadrants to reflect the seasons. So you have like winter, spring, summer, and fall, uh, all, you know, in my imagination, what would happen if you were actually going to build a space uh, station habitat of that dimension, which would roughly be a mile across. Um, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, getting to the space travel thing, and I'm, my great interest in the space program and uh, space habitats and um, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of people think, you know, oh, you know, you don't want to live in a closed quarters like that. It's going to be tiny, and you're going to feel claustrophobic over time. But the concept is that uh, space being what it is, you can build lattices and, and large-scale uh, uh, engineering projects in space that you couldn't build on Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you build them about a mile across... Um, you've got uh, you've got the the makings of a of a space that you know gives people plenty of room to breathe and uh, you know it wouldn't be unlike living on a very small island. So you know the idea doesn't uh, isn't completely outrageous to imagine building space colonies and um, or I should say space habitat uh, that are big enough to satisfy the human need for space. And, um, you know, given all the problems that have to be, you know, solved, I really think that, uh, I really think that space habitats independent of terrestrial, um, projects like, uh, colony, colonies or habitats on the moon or Mars, you know, and there, there you're having to deal with the same problems we have here on earth, which is, you know, you know, all the elements of nature and wind and famine and, you know, this and that. Controlled, large-scale controlled environments in space uh, would give you a more reliable, um, you know, climate climate control, and also teach humanity about recycling to the nth. Right? I mean, oh, yeah. basically, you would learn just exactly what's involved in in balance and everything. Plus, you also save humanity from. Um, uh, well, I mean. 
I won't say that you know there's an imminent asteroid headed our way or anything, but it did take out the dinosaurs in one fell swoop. So unless we do move out into space, we are you know in jeopardy. So it's not a concept to uh, to worry too much about in terms of prioritization, but I I do think that it's worthy, uh, if only to um, create a project as opposed to. Um, uh, you know, we unify around um, things like that. We we unify around projects that are so big and awesome that uh, that it takes an international space station, you know, to create it. Yeah. So uh, you know, if you look at where where politics has has um, has become most unified, it's been around really large projects or about uh, you know, unfortunately, around real large tragedies. You know, you see all this unity of nations when you get a typhoon or a or a, a tsunami in in the you know in Thailand or something. I mean, you see all of the world coming together, and I think that you know, I've always it's always found it a little bit unfortunate that we only unify around tragedy. And I really think that a a huge project, uh, you know, to build um, habitats in space would just follow through that we would have something constructive to unify around rather than always unifying around you know tragedy yeah because i mean not that we shouldn't but i'm just saying that uh, let's let's get scientific here let's get a little bit more ambitious with our imagination and things and and let's start you know you know designing and coming up with projects that we can unify around that are huge and I hope people are getting a little bit of that inspiration from being able to visit some of your worlds. Because honestly, humanity as a species needs to become a spacefaring species. We, The fear, although minuscule, of a supervolcano or an asteroid completely uh, putting us into extinction is, is, is minuscule, but it's real. And, and it yeah. definitely... And it's and it's a shame because you know I feel like like what you said you know humanity can be very reactionary you know when thing bad things happen we're we're really good at like rising to the occasion. But oh yeah, we get beyond our politics. I mean, we we get beyond the divisions. So I feel like we need a. It, it's gonna take some some I don't know. I it it sucks because I I I, I like to be optimistic and I want to say that we're, we'll we we'll figure out a way without tragedy to build things that these um, these amazing structures in space that will help us you know surpass our 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 our, our sort of time on earth you know i feel like you know that's what we need to do and and i just don't know if it'll happen but let me ask you this i have an easy question for you what is art what is art to you? And has that definition of, of what is art, has, has that changed over time as you've grown up? It's expanded. Uh, it's, um, it's expanded. I mean, I, I now see art as uh, uh, starting with the art of living. So it's not, um, it's not something that I feel anyone is not doing. Okay. Oh. It's, you know, it's something everyone is doing. Um, some of us have, um, have taken the leap in of you know leap of faith into the idea that we can make a living with it, um, and believe me, it you know it's a, it's a tough one. I think of all the um, definitions of work out there, uh, art, music, and you know all the you know performing arts create all the creative all the creative uh, expressions of humanity. 
somehow fall outside of the definition of work. And we are the ones in jeopardy because it is a leap of uh, great challenge to uh, make a living at an art form when society itself uh, only considers uh, work within a very narrow uh, definition. Mm -hmm. And I think computers are helping um, to redefine uh, the future of work. And, you know, it really comes down to companies like Facebook and Google and these, these larger companies to come to the realization that the people creating content on their platforms are working and deserve a micropayment back for every comment and posting they make. Okay? There is an economy in, and there is time and energy and, and research and, and a curiosity and everything else that's being collectively created and, and put together in these digital archives we call, you know, Facebook and or whatever, right? And, and these companies, with all their billions of dollars, need to realize that the only way they're going to become more than just another fad, okay? And I could say that Facebook could be just as easily become a fad as anyone else if they don't realize that the content creators who are actually giving them the, uh, you know, all this free stuff, okay? We deserve a micropayment back you know, for having just put it there. Whether it gets any hits or not is not a relevant factor. The fact is that you're adding content, you're adding cultural wealth to the, uh, to the, the, to the society, okay? And that is something that artists and musicians can teach the new social media about because we're the ones who spend six hours rehearsing a song only to play it in three minutes, you know, <laughs> and get paid a pittance as to whether or not it's worth something. So, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for musicians who and artists who should be getting a uh, some recognition for all the hours of work that they put in that is totally, un, you know, not paid for. You get no <laughs> unemployment insurance <laughs> when you're not working. You know, it's it's ridiculous the amount of work that artists and musicians put into their into their craft, and um, it's not it's just not uh, you know it's not considered work, and and I find this outrageous, and it's becoming more and more clear as we get into the digital age that a lot of people are putting in a lot of time and energy, and there's not a lot of uh, you know compensation for it. So I mean I would I would extend this to VR chat. Um, VR chat is a medium that is, is like kind of like a 360 degree social network, right? Mm-hmm. And in that respect, um, I'm willing to take a leap of faith here and, and contribute what I can contribute to that. But there'll become a point where it'll go, okay, well, you know, what's VR chat, you know, infrastructure, how is it set up to, uh, to share the wealth, okay, when they get millions of dollars from investors and things, how is this being used to, you know, create a system by which, you know, someone who creates something is being, you know, fairly compensated for the energy that they're contributing to the overall community of that, uh, of that um, uh, medium. So, you know, I have no, you know, 
you know, I, I would argue this with uh, GM3, of course. You know, we talk about this, you know, because he shares everything for free, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I totally get it. But and he's turned me on to all the value of that. And I and you know, sure, you know, from an artistic per- perspective, it's it's always good to get an audience and have people, you know, see your work. But in the end, you know, you sort of have to have a strategy that uh, is allows you to continue to survive in order to do that. And and I think in the in the new digital age, we're we're going to have to figure out the entire micro payment system is going to have to be worked on. There's going to have to be some acknowledgement by the companies themselves that are pulling these incredible networks together that the content providers are, you know, the most valuable part of the whole thing. So, you know, it's it's a um, it's a give and take world. So I think that needs to be uh, acknowledged. And, uh, and I think that the future of work is going to be simply in redefining what work is and allowing to expand the definition so that it doesn't just apply to carpenters and, you know, and people working in offices and all that. I mean, you know, we're all putting in a lot of time here. Yeah, I think you just inspired in me an idea for a company company that could take away Facebook's crown as the number one social network. And how we would do it, if you want to be a part of this, is we could <laughs> instead of in, instead of uh, you know with micropayments, like people would get paid for producing content and commenting and liking. And immediately, I could imagine like people would hear about a social network that pays you. What? Fuck Facebook! I'm getting paid. Like that would be. <laughs> Well, there is uh, there is one out there that does that. It is a social network. I've, I've forgotten the name of it for the moment, but it's um, I think it was invented in um, South America, and it they do pay you for content, and they do pay you for your postings, and they do pay you for all that. What about uh, what about Patreon? What, what what are your what are your takes on on Patreon? Because at the other end of the spectrum, you would hear like a company saying, well. You have all this audience now, you know, you can easily just start a Patreon and get, you know, those people to support you. You know, who's is it is it is who's going to be the ultimate, you know, responsible well, person is okay, it the here's company the or thing. is it going to be the, yeah. the people? Yeah. Okay, Patreon should also be paying micropayments just to have the content there, just to have all those people come together, okay? Patreon needs to have I mean if these if these um, uh, outfits are going to survive as more than just a digital fad, and I you know I, I don't mean to say that they're uh, you know that but if you look at the just the history of digital okay and I've been into computers since 1984 okay so, and I've seen a lot come and go and I'll, and and much more goes than than comes in a sense, you know, or stays, Mm -hmm. let's say has any kind of duration. I mean, you know, you look at uh, incredible uh, efforts that were, you remember GeoCities and uh, MySpace and all these uh, incredibly um, innovative social networks that were out there. And, you know, again, they failed because they failed to acknowledge the content creators. Okay. Eventually Facebook becomes, um, an advertising medium that like the phone book, you know, eventually you're like, Oh God, I can't even go through my, my, uh, my feed anymore without, I feel like I'm reading the yellow pages or something. Oh. The old days, you know? So, you know, as much as Facebook is economizing with their advertisers, they, sh- if I'm going to be subjected to advertising, then I need to, uh, you know, 
you know, I need to feel like, you know, that there's some kind of compensation for my content because the only reason those advertisers are making any money is because I'm posting content to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Okay. Me and millions of other people are creating the content. So it's really, it's really just a, a slight shift in the thinking on the part of the, um, um, on the part of these companies before they realize the enlightenment of, of the fact that, you know, that they, they have, um, all these content creators, um, who are, have given them this value and they will leave and they will go elsewhere. I mean, we're all sort of moving away from Facebook into the 360 VR. Now, this is the next social network. Uh, Facebook itself is, you know, owns Oculus. So Oculus, uh, Go is now going to become the next uh, view screen for uh, probably the majority of people who can't remember what a desktop computer is, you know, hmm. because tablets and phones have, have have mobilized the world, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think at the point at which Facebook um, is successful, and I believe they will be with the Oculus Go, I believe that billions of people are now going to realize that or get a really good taste of VR. I've been in uh, big screen lately watching movies and realizing that two, three, four people in there have Oculus Goes on. And and they're and they're seeing, you know, uh, they're getting a really good taste of that experience of sitting next to somebody who's a thousand miles away and watching a film together, you know. And just the magic of that, the novelty of it, the in incredible sense that um you know that you can you know be with other family members right next to them you know it doesn't you don't have to keep getting on these airplanes and flying all the way over there you know you can you can actually have a conversation with you know i had a i was in there with my son the other night we watched uh, alien covenant and my guy it was it was just so great to be sitting next to my son who lives you know quite far away hmm. in terms of travel and everything and and yet there we are just enjoying each other's company and uh, having a chat we spent two or three hours just hanging out and it was great and and you know it's always been great that way with vr i mean last night hanging out with an australian in uh 10,001 dreams and he was just like i you know again for again seeing 10,001 dreams uh for the first time you know a project that took me nine months to put together I'm able to see it again for the first time through the eyes of this newbie who came in uh, had never met him before, and he was blowing his mind on that. Yeah, I wanted to – man, there's so much you touched on just now. But one of the things that spoke to me was the idea that you know maybe we need – virtual reality needs its own sort of economy to be able to – become you know that to get to that next level you we need to figure out ways for creators to be compensated and for people to be having that extra sort of you know thing that keeps them coming back you know and i and i honestly think that it, it the, one of the solutions could be using um cryptocurrency and a peer-based economy where people can pay you in cryptocurrency for a service or for a product or for whatever you want to exchange value in and, and and i hope that vr will merge with these technologies you know sooner rather than later 
um, because I think there's real potential there. Aside from obviously co- companies taking matters into their own hands, and 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 that's another scenario where I see perhaps you know the future of automation leading us to wherein you know all those jobs that are going to be left are going to be around social media being on the internet because a lot of the jobs will get automated and so maybe maybe it'll get to the point where you know we'll have to we'll we'll all realize that um there's real real world value in interacting and creating and producing things and putting them out there uh, for these platforms to sort of live off of so so, yeah. yeah, it has to be acknowledged at some point. Um, it has to be acknowledged. Uh, cryptocurrencies are uh, uh, hold a certain amount of risk, so I wouldn't necessarily tie a, a particular VR reality with a cryptocurrency. Otherwise, you're jeopardizing the stability of the VR world. However, VR worlds, um, I think it was demonstrated quite clearly with Second Life that the um, that a VR world should have its own uh, currency and that it works rather well. I mean, at at its peak, I think um, Second Life Second Life was uh, handling about a million dollars in transactions a day hmm. using using their Linden. Okay, people would, and the beauty of the Linden was that it was it was. Um, uh, it went both ways. If you if you bought a thousand Lindens for seven dollars, and and then you went and you played a concert in there, like I would do a lounge act in there kind of thing, um, the Lindens that I would collect, I could retranslate those back into you know dollars. So it has to work both ways. You have to be able to buy the uh, the, the virtual currency, and you have to be able to cash it out, so that you're constantly able to. Um, use it as a way to, um, you know, make a living. And it can't be just cryptocurrencies and weird currencies that that are being manipulated by uh, markets and things like that. I think it has to be, if VRChat comes up with a currency system, it needs to be a VRChat coin, and it needs to be translatable both ways. I need to be able to buy a bunch of them so I can buy models that other people are building and you know, I can uh, sell my own models and collect those coins and then cash them out and have actual dollars, okay? Um, and it needs to be, I think they, they need to be keenly aware that unless they keep that within in-house, that currency has to be an in-house creation, um, then they can you can control that economy. You have much more control over it. If you use a cryptocurrency, my gosh, there's been a run on all kinds of those cryptocurrencies and then there's been an absolute devastation can you imagine a vr world supported by you know bitcoin that can go from you know eleven thousand to nineteen thousand in a day or down you know lose you know like that that you know that's chaos that's why high fidelity made their own coin as well if you if you've seen high yeah and i haven't seen how i need to check that those guys out um but yeah those are models that to me are really you know the way to go and uh, and that's a way also of VR chat giving away um, uh, currency itself, right? I mean, if if there was any kind of currency in VR chat, even if they didn't want to pay in dollars, if they could, if they, you know, if they could establish that as a, um, oh, you know, you upload a, a world, it gets a certain amount of uh, points for this, that, and everything else, and then boom, you know, those units. Could be attribute, you know, could be allocated to the individual uh, creators of these of this content. 
Um, yeah, I mean, this is all, you know, the future. Um, it's all very um, important now. Um, it's very it's very important that we, we deal with some of that because, you know, artists like myself can, can do this, you know, we can contribute, you know, it's, uh, there used to be a, um, a perfect example of this in a, in a company called Meta Cafe and Meta Cafe was a YouTube alternative where they paid you to upload your videos and they didn't pay you to upload the video. They paid you, uh, as your videos became popular and, there were people making $50,000 a year uh, making their videos and uploading them to Meta Cafe. Now, the concept was sound and great, and I uploaded a video that I made, uh, and it actually garnered 300,000 hits, and I got a check for 1500 bucks. So I was like, okay, this is going to work. You know, this is going to work. This is going to be the way, and their advertisers were part of the matrix and you accepted a certain amount of advertising on your videos and if your video became popular you got more per hit as the video became more popular once it reached a certain threshold of a thousand hits it began to make more and and away you went and it was a great little system and it was supported by a lot of uh, advertising and investors but it went under okay and I'll tell you, the reason it went under is just sheer madness, okay? <laughs> because of the popularity, okay? And if you look at VR chat, right, and you look at all these uh, virtual reality worlds, okay, we are only at the beginning of being able to even support that kind of dynamic, okay, because of the bandwidth problems, yeah. okay? And you can crash VR chat, uh, you know, by just becoming so successful with it that it's ridiculous, right? I mean, if a thousand people came into airbrushing galaxies, you're looking at a slideshow, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like there's just not enough bandwidth for the full-on hit. So we should be patient and methodical about just growing naturally, okay, and allowing things to expand not by a sudden burst of, of um, advertising, but by attrition you know just you know allow people to discover things in a natural way and i think virtual realities have to do that they have to accept that the technology uh is going to improve over time but you almost have to grow at the rate at which the technology allows you to exist and virtual reality is a hugely demanding um you know medium so best to accept slow growth but, you know, growth, accept it, you know, accept it and grow so that everybody's enjoying it. And, uh, you know, in the last few months, VR chat has grown exponentially because of the twitching uh, uh, streaming services. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm probably falling on the side of uh, a VR user who, you know, not wanting to be too crazy here, but it's possible that vr chat ought to have a couple of branches one for you know headset users who have to you know contend with a lot of bandwidth and one for the desktop and maybe a third one for both but there seems to be a um an overload going on there somewhere with uh you know mostly desktop 
and then it's you know the whole you know VR requires a certain amount of um, you know extra power. And uh, I don't know what to do about that. I love meeting everybody in there. And a lot of people who are getting introduced, of course, don't have headsets. And, and they're getting headsets pretty soon as soon as they go in there. They go, oh, my God, i got to get a headset, right? So it works both ways. It's a really delicate question as to how to handle the, the overload. But um, something needs to be done there. I'm not sure what it is. I don't even want to make a suggestion because... It's early. It's early stages uh, of this whole kind of social network that we're seeing. Yeah, and I have a feeling you and I are going to have many more conversations in the future, Paul. I'm going to have to start bringing things down to a close. I have one last question for you, though. What are mm-hmm. your biggest hopes for the te- for virtual reality as a technology? Um, I think I pretty much covered that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, my my hopes are you know are for the. Uh, you know, some kind of a monetization that uh, allows the uh, creative element to be fairly compensated. Uh, I think that's that's it. that's going to actually determine whether it continues. Because whether you know your content creators uh, basically are carrying um, the weight of of uh, y- y- you know the platform itself, you know, in order for it to succeed, needs good needs to encourage good content creation. And I think that that kind of encouragement falls into the realm of providing a living for the content creator. So, you know, it doesn't have to be their total living. I'm a multimedia artist. I work in all kinds of media, so I'm not totally dependent on VR for my living, although it has been my main source of income over the last decade. So, um, yeah. You know, I think that uh, the future bodes well. Um, I think it bodes well culturally because you're 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 finding a wonderful group of people in there. There's it's amazing that you know it, it demonstrates 99% of the people are just wonderful. So any delusional um, effects that the media has has given about our polarization is clearly shown not to be the case in uh, in the virtual worlds. Most people you meet are just wonderful. So uh, I assume that the real world is very much like that, although I'm not much of a traveler, so I wouldn't know. I would say you're <laughs> right. I would say you're correct. Paul, you uh, have conclusively concluded you are a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch and follow up with all the things you're doing these days? <laughs> well, um, I like to just my, – my website is the – uh, is the focal point of, of a way to contact me, dreamscaping.com, as in landscaping, dreamscaping. And, um, of course, I have my Patreon and all that. But, but you know, I rely on the sales of my artwork and my music and, and my applications. So um, that's, you know, and I love the idea that, um, that we have a medium like VRChat to, you know, to share stuff. And all the other virtual worlds out there that we can choose. I'm into Neosphere VR now. Um, oh, but yeah, Neos. Anybody... Yeah, Neos is amazing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a whole other story. <laughs> that, that one, that one is just like that breaks all the all the uh, rules. That one, that one is absolutely uh, whoa. You know, <laughs> we're yeah. we're in we're in for something now. Yeah. But no, you can contact me through my website. Uh, that's where I generally update my applications. Although I've been moving so 
deeply into creating worlds that I haven't updated my last three worlds yet on my website. So um, my, my intention is to make them standalone as well, because the only security I have in my creativity, I mean, VR chat, you know, could go under tomorrow or whatever, if their investors don't come through or whatever, I need to feel that my applications have an independence from a particular third party platform. The same way, you know, I contribute to Facebook, my finished product, I don't create on Facebook. So I mean, I believe that uh, we need to continue to keep our hubs, our websites, because the only reason you would advertise or show something somewhere else is to, you know, like you're using these are mediums, right? Twitter and, you know, Instagram and Facebook and, you know, all these, you know, I show my work on uh, on uh, VR chat. I hope that people come to my website and look at uh, at my work there and hopefully will purchase some of my music or purchase you know you know my support i mean i i I, you know it'd be it's great to get people to subscribe to my patreon channel but um you know it's uh and i give away a lot of free stuff there if you do so i mean it's you know i've got gosh i've recorded been recording since 1971 so you know i literally have you know dozens of albums that i can give away and if you're into collecting my work uh you know Sure, any kind of contribution to Patreon, I'll send you a free album on a monthly basis, you know. Right on. Well, I'm going to make sure to include all the links in the show notes to all the relevant uh, pieces of work and and website and all that good stuff. Paul, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a blast. All right, buddy. And it's been great meeting you and having a chat. Yeah. It's an honor to be considered uh, important enough to interview. Oh no, no, trust me, you you were. You totally were. So thank you once again. You 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 rocked it. Thank you. Okay. And you take care of yourself. We'll catch you catching the other world. Yes, you will. <laughs> what a way to close, man. We we're terrible at I'm I'm terrible at closing. I'm sorry, I should have let you just finish finish your, your sentence, but I always you know how I always and, and I'm gonna keep this in the cut because it's just went into clarity. Uh, I I always close with like this way this weird way of saying and I just go with and bam and then and then it's like and it's and it's and then I can snap out of my <laughs> podcaster mode but but yeah. Do you want me to do it? Do you want me to do it, Chris? Yes, please. And bam! All right, we did it! <laughs>